Our Father in heaven, hallowed and holy is your name. You truly are great. And if we just catch a glimpse of you, we will fall to our knees in wonder at your majesty. Father, I pray that you would give us more than a glimpse tonight, but that we would see the power and the hope that you give us through this glorious resurrection of your Son. That death has been defeated, that sin's curse has lost its grip on us, and these wayward, rebellious hearts can be drawn close to you, and we can experience life in a powerful new way through being transformed by your abundant grace. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated for our scripture reading tonight. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. The resurrection of the dead. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. This has been the word of God. So as we, as we said earlier, this is the third week of a, a series, a sermon series that we have. We have eight weeks that we're celebrating the resurrection since we celebrated on Easter Sunday. Two weeks ago, we were, the big idea was clinging to life. Last week, we talked about clinging to grace, and this week, we are talking about clinging to hope. Consider this question. What is it that you hope most for? When you find yourself with nothing to do, where do your thoughts go? Maybe a cure for cancer. Maybe you hope to be married one day or hope to see your marriage thrive. Maybe you hope for financial security. Maybe you hope for your kids to grow up and be successful. Maybe you're like everyone else and you hope to be happy. Or maybe you're like me and you just want one time before you die to catch every green light wherever you're driving to, just once. That's all I'm asking. We find ourselves hoping for a lot of different things. Pastor Larry mentioned earlier that right now in Nepal, many people are hoping to find loved ones alive from the earthquake and the aftershocks. They're hoping for the earth to stop violently shaking. They want peace. 
There are many people around the world who are hoping to, to give relief to them and to help them out in this time of need. These kinds of tragedies really cause me to realize how insignificant many of my worries truly are in trying to find out if, if people will notice that I got a haircut or a new uh, jacket or new shoes or whatever it might be. We are faced with the reality that there is a much greater hope that we thirst for. Clinging to hope doesn't mean that we were going to have that we are going to have a great life right now and that all of our problems will magically go away once we are clinging to the hope that God gives us in Christ. The Christian hope is is not cheap. It's a treasure. The Christian hope is a treasure that nothing else on this earth can even come close to compare to. It's beyond what we can dream, what we can fathom. Specifically, our Christian hope can be summed up in the person of Jesus. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we are going uh, through this section of Scripture, this chapter. We are going through this verse by verse over the next few weeks. And look with me in chapter 15, verse 19, as Paul talks about our hope in Christ. He says, if only in this life we have hope in Christ. So if it's only for this life that we have hope in Christ, if this is it, what we have here, then we, Christians, those who are following Christ, are of all people most to be pitied. If this is all there is, if the hope that we have in Jesus is just for this life, we are foolish. But we're going to see tonight that this is a a big if, if you will. And that we are called to cling to hope. And we're going to see that we'll do that in three ways. Through the resurrection being a required and essential part of our doctrine. We'll see it through, through focusing forward on the promise that God gives us. And we'll also see that we too, like Christ, will rise again. So let's look with me. Uh, the first point tonight, if you want to write this down on the back of your worship folder, you can do that. The first point is how we cling to hope. The first thing is the resurrection required. Resurrection required. This means that it is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. If you look on our website, we talk about essentials and non-essentials of the faith. The resurrection of Christ is essential. If you do do not believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, then you are not and cannot be a Christian. Membership requirement number one. I like going to Costco. Anybody else? I I, I really enjoy it. Uh, Before moving to New York City, I spent the majority of my shopping time at either Walmart or a dollar store. And uh, now I get to go to Costco and have name brand things for about the same price and sometimes cheaper than what I paid at other places. Now, I actually do have to pay for a storage unit to, uh, to store the 1,300 uh, rolls of, of paper towels that come in the package, but I still, I still save money. When you go through Costco and you see these huge warehouse bundles, and you get to the checkout line, before they ever ring your first item, they ask for your membership card. And if you don't have it or don't have someone's there that you can borrow, 
You can't purchase anything. You can't buy it. It is requirement. Likewise, the resurrection is a requirement for the Christian faith. If you disprove Christianity, you discredit the entire faith. This is what Paul is saying. If you can disprove disprove the resurrection, if you can prove that it didn't happen, Christianity would cease to exist. It is an essential of the faith. It is essential to believe in the resurrection in order to be a Christian. Now what Paul does from in these next few verses, or the verses preceding this actually, he talked about a, a hypothetical. He was speaking as in if terms. He was saying, you know, if this resurrection is not true, because some among you and some people around, uh, some people are saying that the resurrection is not true, and some of you may even be believing this. And if it's not true, this is what it means for your faith. So he speaks hypothetically. And he, the first one he talks about is in, in verse uh, 15, or verse 14 of chapter 15. So hypothetically, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, so he says, if there is no resurrection, and Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. These are conclusions that he's coming to if the resurrection is not true. And the first conclusion is our proclamation or our preaching is pointless. That's what vain means. It's without purpose. Why are you doing it? If there is no resurrection, it is worthless. The word preaching here is is a word that means proclamation, sharing, telling the gospel. Within the Christian faith, there are debates as to who can preach and who cannot. And we often think that preaching is what I am doing right now. As I stand here and I I am preaching the word of God. And it's more than that, though, especially in this case. It's not standing behind a pulpit or a lectern and, and proclaiming the word of God, but the word preacher means simply to share and to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. So here it means anyone who is telling a message and saying, Jesus is the new king. He is the king. It's not Caesar, but there is a new king. There is a royal king, and we are part of his priesthood. It's a proclamation of who he is. It's a telling of who he is. This is what preaching is. And so Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection, then we should just be quiet. Because what we are telling people is pointless. If there is no resurrection, our preaching is worthless. The second conclusion is this. In the same verse, he says, our faith is in vain. So he's saying the faith that you're, uh, that you're holding on to in Christ is of no value. It's pointless. It's, it's vain if there is no resurrection. We don't know exactly what they could have been placing their faith in at this point. It doesn't give us that, and I couldn't find the reason through any commentaries I looked at. But what we do know is we have the same problem today, where people will look and they say, you know, yeah, yeah, Jesus, he's a, he's a prophet. We respect him. He's a good teacher. And certainly, certainly, he was a fine example for us to follow. But all of those things can be said And all of those things are said by people who deny that he was resurrected from the dead. And Paul says very clearly, if you deny, or if the resurrection is not true, if it did not happen, then your faith is vain. At Connection Church, we have categorized the entire world into three categories. So you fit into one of those categories. We all do. We're either a neighbor, a friend, or a family. Now, we also teach a neighbor is anyone and everyone. You can believe anything, and you're our neighbor. 
So that's, if you will, if you have to you know, put it in order of importance, that would be the lowest on the rung, I guess, if you will. But even as a neighbor, we are taught by the Christian faith and by God's holy word that a neighbor is to be esteemed and honored and served and loved. So it doesn't matter what anyone out there believes. We as a Christian, as Christians, we are called to love them, to honor them, to serve them. When tragedy happens, we are called to help our neighbor. At the same time, as Christians, we are called to hold tightly. We are called to cling to the truth that we hold dear, the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the Holy Scriptures is that he's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. And he's not just a fine example for us to follow. But Jesus is Lord. He is King. He is Savior. He is Redeemer. He is resurrected from the dead. He is the Son of God. These are the essentials of the Christian faith that we hold dear. So we cannot compromise on what we believe and still call ourselves Christian. Paul said, if you say there is no resurrection from the dead, then your faith is vain. The third conclusion, he said, is if there is no resurrection, then we are still in our sins. Sin and death are, are tied specifically to one another, and he tells us that if death still rules, if, if it hasn't been defeated, then we are still in our sins. Look with me in verse 17. He says, and if Christ, again, if, he has, if he's not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So quickly, the, the payment for our sins was the death of Christ. That is true. But unless there is a resurrection from the dead, there is no proof that his death was accepted by the Father. There's no proof without the resurrection that his death was sufficient to pay for our sin. It was merely a death that may have inspired others, but there was no power to forgive sins. And if there is no resurrection, there is no forgiveness, and we are still in our sins. The fourth conclusion that he comes to is this. He says, if there's no resurrection, then those who have fallen asleep, and that's what we would say passed away, those who have fallen asleep have perished. So what about those who have already passed away? In verse 18, he tells us, he says, then even those, if there is no resurrection, who has fallen asleep, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The perished here doesn't mean that they've just died, but he's talking about they have experienced the wrath of God and they are condemned. It would be hopeless for them and they would face and incur the judgment of God if there were no resurrection. So he says all of these things hypothetically to prove a serious, clear point. And that is number one. The resurrection is required. There has to be a resurrection. Or all of this is null and void. The second point tonight is this. For us to cling to the hope that God gives us is for us to focus forward. So first we have to see that the resurrection is required. The second is for us to focus forward. So the hope that we cling to is a future hope. So if we are focusing forward in our hearts, the Christian hope is that we too will be resurrected. It doesn't mean that we look forward in a way that we say, you know what, it really doesn't matter what happens over in Nepal that's away from us, or it really doesn't matter what happens in our neighborhood 
because our hope isn't here. Our hope is in the future, so it doesn't really matter what we do. That's not at all what he was saying. What he is saying is that when we focus forward and we see the, the hope that God gives us in Christ, it will empower us to live here differently. Not to withdraw so that we can protect our own interest and to, to have our own way, but to, to go in and be on the front lines and live with boldness, to live sacrificially in this life, instead of, as our culture tells us, with every commercial that we see, to get all that we can get. This will bring fulfillment to your life. But the Christian life is, we have already received fulfillment through Christ, and now we give liberally. This is the way Paul lived his life. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's speaking of himself and all that he had endured. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. This really makes you want to listen to what he's saying, right? (laughs) I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. So pause for just a second. He was letting them know in the, the course of this letter all that he had suffered because of his faith in Christ. That he was clinging to hope. And his hope wasn't that he would have a great life now, but that the terrible things he endured now were worth whatever it cost him because of the hope that he had in Christ. And this is, he's just telling them all that he'd gone through. In verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. So he fits right in here in New York, right? Get it? He was stoned? No? Just me? All right. This is not that kind of stone. This is when they, they, would, they would throw rocks at him. So once he was stoned, and three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day he was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, not just one here or there, frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, Danger from Gentiles. So it wasn't just the Jews even, but jan- danger from the Gentile- Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. It doesn't matter where he's going. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many sleepless night, many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, Just on top of all that, here's the sprinkles on top of the ice cream. There is a daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. There's this burden that is on me for all of the churches of Jesus. We see from this scripture that he lived a very sacrificial life. That he gave and he gave and he was not afraid of the consequences that came his way because of his proclaiming of the gospel. He wasn't afraid of the consequences that came his way because of his faith. He believed that Jesus was the way to be freed from sins. Jesus was the way for us to be freed from death. And that those who had died in Christ, he believed they would rise again as the Lord did. He focused forward. It's not about me heaping up a kingdom right here. It's about giving my life because God's already established a kingdom. 
and I'm going to that kingdom, and that kingdom's coming here. He had a hard life, a tough life. Too often, I won't lump you into this, but too often I find myself fantasizing about an easy life with no obstacles. This American culture that I live in has had far too deep of a grip in the heart of this man. And I wrestle. I wrestle with a sacrificial life. God wants us to focus forward. Not on the here and now. We don't live oblivious to what's going on around us. But when we focus forward, we're empowered by God's Holy Spirit to live and see kingdom impact right here. And that leads us back to the verse we started with in verse 19. Paul says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be the people most pitied. The Christian life is not worth the sacrifice. The Christian life is not worth self-denial if the resurrection is not true. It doesn't make sense. Why would we purposely deny ourselves and not just go the way of the world and go the way we desire? Why would we personally den- purposely deny our passions and even consider others? Why in the world would I consider you above me? Why would I do that if there is no valid reason for me to give up my life? If this is all there is, why would I want to give it up for you? Later on, and we'll talk more about this in a few weeks, in verse 32, he addresses this briefly. And he says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's what Paul is saying. If there is no resurrection, Paul said in the Greek, Ricky Martin was right, and we should be living la vida loca. It's right here. But you see, the hope for the Christian faith is not tied only to this life. Now, I want to be clear. There is hope for us in this life. It's not just about then. There is here too, because in Christ we find strength to endure whatever comes our way. In Christ, we find what our souls long for. Even before we know it, that's what it is. We find peace with God. In Christ, we can live bold as a lion because we know that in Christ, God is for us and the worst the enemy can do to us isn't worth worrying over. In Christ, we can find peace in our relationships with one another. In Christ, we can see heaven break into earth right now. So our hope isn't just for this life only. God originally created the heavens and the earth to exist together, and one day they will again. That is part of our hope. It's not just now, it's not just then, it's both. Until then, we will see glimpses of heaven here, and our hope for the resurrection will empower us to risk these lives, risk these bodies, for the sake of seeing God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Clinging to hope means focusing forward. Number three is this. Remember, 
we will rise. When we cling to hope, we remember that we will rise again because there is a resurrection. This essential teaching of Christianity about resurrection makes all of those consequences that we addressed earlier, and they fall into an if column. If the resurrection is not true, then this. If this, if the resurrection is not true, then that. It makes all of those ifs stay there in the hypothetical situation that we address them in. They don't become a reality because the Christian faith moves us from if to fact. The Christian faith moves us from a hypothetical if to a fact. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He has been raised from the dead. So the fact remains still today that the tomb was empty, and it's still empty today. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses we saw last week in the Scriptures in this same letter to the resurrected Christ. One of the uh, famous authors named Lee Strobel set out to disprove this resurrection because he knew that if you can discredit the resurrection, you can disprove and discredit Christianity. So he set out as an atheist to disprove it. He was a legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, and he interviewed top scholars from respected Christian institutions. And over the course of his interviews of asking those hard questions, he began to be convinced. Wow. There's validity to this. It's not just the pie in the sky, people mindlessly and ignorantly believing, but there's some validity to the testimony of these eyewitnesses and these documents. He eventually became a Christian as a result of his investigation and now has written, a, I believe it's a top-selling book called The Case for Christ. It addresses a lot of the skeptical questions that we have, and I would encourage anyone to read that who has questions about the validity of the Bible or the resurrection. See, the hope for the Christian faith is compelling. It's worth dying for. It's worth giving up our life for. And that's actually how we become partakers of the Christian faith. We first must die. We must die to ourselves. We must give up our rights. Sign this life over and submit to Jesus as the Lord. And we do this knowing that we will rise again and we will be with this King forever. doesn't mean that we go around and we're willing to die in a uh, martyr-type way or a suicidal way or in a way that we go and we harm others in order to attain heaven. But it means that we know that we have the hope of heaven secured by the resurrection of Christ. And we know that so well that we are willing to give up our lives for the sake of others. Remember, we will rise. Clinging to hope in this world today means that we are to be clinging to Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul again writes to the church at Rome, and he says, because... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And that saved means rescued. 
We cling to hope because of the fact that Jesus has proved to be resurrected from the dead. And when we believe that, we are rescued. Remember those hypotheticals? If there's no resurrection, then this. If there's no resurrection, then this. Well, since there is a resurrection, we can flip those around. And we can say, since He is resurrected from the dead, then the proclamation of Jesus is not vain, but it is of great value to tell people of the wondrous works of Christ. Since the resurrection is true, our faith in Jesus is not vain, but it's of eternal significance, both then and now. Since there is a resurrection from the dead, we are not still in our sins, praise the Lord, but we are freed and we are forgiven because the sacrifice of Jesus was accepted by God the Father. Since the resurrection of the dead, did I say resurrection? I'm excited right now, so I'm going to mess up a little bit. Since the resurrection of the dead is true, those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed away, guess what? They haven't perished. They have the promise of the resurrected life. Hallelujah. And finally, because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, our lives of self-denial self-sacrifice. Our lives of service are far from being pitied. But they're privileged. We have an opportunity before us to give our lives in such a spectacular way that the world will see Jesus alive in His church. When we live sacrificially, Because Jesus never gave up hope, we can cling to Him with a hope that is certain to never disappoint. Don't give up hope in this world. Jesus entered into this broken system. He took the worst that it could give Him. And three days later, He came back to life and He broke the curse of sin and He defeated death. And one day He will come back and He will do it once and for all. And we all in Christ will be raised in His glory forever and ever. And that's worth saying amen over. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that You would put Your hope and Your your love into our hearts. I pray that we would find our hope in You alone, that we would not look to outsource our hope anywhere else, but that we would find it in You. Remind us often of the essential truth of Your resurrection, Jesus. Remind us that You defeated death, that You defeated sin for the world. Focus our hearts on the future so we will be empowered with faith to live with hope so that we will joyfully give our lives in service to You and to the world. Remind us often that though we will die, we will rise again. And so, are, so will all those who are in You. Jesus, be glorified with Your church and use us to bring Your rule and Your reign and Your kingdom, Your heaven here on earth. Father, may the world see our love for one another and praise You. And we pray this in the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
So, how does one remain hopeful in the midst of crushing circumstances here on earth? Daniel said after point two that our hope is not in this life, but it's in God's kingdom. And if this right here, this life, is all there is, then why would we give up anything in our life for others? See, the the way to remain um, untethered to the grip that this world has on your emotions and on my feelings of hope and hopelessness, the way to disconnect from, from that grip it has is to understand and experience the grip of the kingdom of God. It's the grip that says, even though you will face trials, not you won't face any trials, but even though you face trials, the trials will end. I have given you strength, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to overcome these discomforts. So tonight we have the opportunity to respond to this sermon in a beautiful way by coming to the table where the grip of the earth was loosed. Because at this table, Jesus instituted a new covenant at the Lord's Supper. He said, eat this bread, which is my body, which will be broken for you, and drink this wine, which is the cup of the new covenant that I have given to you. And he said, because... My body was broken because my blood was poured out. The grip of the earth tied up in it all of your hopes and dreams. That grip that it has on you that ebbs and flows with whatever happens at work or in your family or um, in anything that you put weight in, that grip is gone. Faith in me means you are focusing forward to the kingdom of God. So tonight, as we celebrate communion, I invite you to respond by confessing areas in which you are allowing the grip of earth to bring hopelessness or to cause anxiety or feel powerless and and confess those things and then look up because Jesus is here He has come. The resurrection was so this grip would be loosed and you can find security and safety in his arms. So I'm going to pray in a minute and you can respond to that by coming and kneeling on these cushions up here and praying either before or after communion. I'll be standing over here to the side if you would like someone to pray with you. Maybe there's something in your life that it's not just easy to lay down and say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to be hopeless about this anymore. It's over. Maybe you'd like someone to pray with you, to share that burden. I would love to do that. But respond how God is calling you tonight. To cling to hope because the grip that this world has on your hopelessness is gone in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask that you would Give us hope to cling to. Thank you for 
the resurrection. Thank you for the, the truth that since you are raised from the dead, death now no longer has a grip on us as we place our faith in you. You have given us life. We praise you for that this evening and we ask that tonight we would forsake this earth and seek your kingdom. That the captives would be set free. That the hopeless would find hope. That those with anxiety would find peace. Lord, I pray that we would understand that since you have done all of those things for us, we are to turn and do those things for our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.